to our employer podcast series for 2019. I'm Emma Walsh. Today I had the privilege of interviewing Kathy Burke, the former CEO of the global not-for-profit group, The Hunger Project, which worked to end global hunger through empowering women. Now, in her 20 years leading the Hunger Project in Australia, Kathy learned from extraordinary examples of leadership by women who were able to support their families and communities in circumstances of extreme poverty, poor health, and of course, violence and war. Kathy spent extensive time in villages across India, Bangladesh, and Africa, and was profoundly shaped and educated in what true leadership really is and how to unleash it. She captured these heartbreaking yet inspiring stories of women's endurance and ingenuity in her book, Unlikely Leaders, Lessons from a Village Classroom. Kathy now works with organisations to find and unlock the leadership potential hidden in their people, and it's this that I got to discuss with her today. So, Kathy, it would be true to say that in your Hunger Project experience, you've studied leadership, what it means to be a real leader in the most harsh and challenging situations and circumstances that many of us could ever imagine. I'm sure that what you saw and learnt changed assumptions and ideals about what effective leadership really is about, um, that most of us learn in conventional ways, I guess, in office towers through, you know, maybe a leadership course, comfortable leadership course we might have gone to. Um, the current status quo of what makes an effective leader, I think, continues to be redefined and shaped as our social expectations and values as a society change. Um, I'd like to begin by asking you quite a big question. In 2019, what do you think it means to be an authentic leader of the future? Um, how do you think leadership is evolving in our social and political times that we're living in? Um, I think it's a great question because we firstly need to look at what do we mean by leader and leadership and reimagine that now. Typically leadership is seen that in a certain paradigm, that's really an old paradigm, but it's still very current now. And so that means that some people can lead and some people can't. Um, leaders tend to look a certain way. They tend to be educated a certain way. Um, we tend to see leadership as a as a collection of traits. So you need to be a visionary, I need to be bold, I need more confidence, and so then we go hunting, gathering, those sorts of things. Um, we feel that to be a leader you need to have followers or you need to be leading something sort of externally like an organisation. And um, with the huge amount of disruption and change and crises that we're facing, this um, old way of seeing leadership is just insufficient for where we are right now. Um, firstly, it's locking human potential out of the leadership game. There is a huge number of people who may not have the title or may not look a certain way who have bought the narrative that somehow they can't lead, um, they don't have the right traits or the right skills or experience to be able to lead. And so the thing that I'm... Um, seeing as more crucial than ever is redefining leadership, that we each have that innate capacity to lead. 
um, and that the first act of leadership isn't leading somebody else, it's actually leading yourself. So unless you can um, be awake to your motivations, your your responses, your reactions, um, you need to be able to claim leadership for yourself, which can be very hard for people. Um, we sometimes, and it's partly because of this belief that, you know, very few people can lead and, and the rest can't, and then we, we kind of take that in and think, well, I'm not really leadership material, sort of, and someone else can lead. But actually, when we define leadership in a new way, um, that becomes sort of old and moribund. And for me, being a leader is someone who sees an issue or a challenge that they want to change, they want to impact, they want to have some say in. And it may be an issue or a cause or a situation that they didn't cause, it's not their fault, they're not to blame, but they take responsibility for getting it resolved. That's leadership. And in that definition, we all have the opportunity to lead. We can lead in our own families. We can lead in our teams. We can lead in our organisations. We can lead in our community. When we see something and we step up to get it resolved, irrespective of whether you've been asked to do it or it's part of your job or you've been anointed to do it. And I think that the more that we can claim our inherent nature as human beings of being um, able to, to impact things and have a say in things, um, then that opens up the field of leadership for everyone. Mm. I, I couldn't agree more. And you've made me think about this concept of community leadership versus, let's say, traditional workplace leadership and how we define the two. There are just so many unsung heroes, aren't there, in community leadership. They, you know, they are the people who, you know, as you say, are um, taking responsibility for things within their um, locale, whether it be climate change, whether it be, um, you know, homelessness or whatever it might be in their local mm. community that they're going out of their way to, um, you know, inspire change on or just keep running or whatever it might be. And yet those people don't, at this stage, recognise or define themselves as having that capability to do that in their traditional workplace. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, do you see that in the future there is going to be more of a blend between, uh, I guess, the recognition of community leaders and traditional workplace leaders, you know, coming, coming together perhaps? Possibly. I mean, I think that often they're, they're the same people. Yeah. There are people in sure. organisations who are really involved in community issues and, and vice versa. Um, I think I think about leadership like a electricity current. The potential for it is in everyone. It's either activated or it's dormant. Mm. And you can show leadership in your work environment but none in your home environment. You mm. can be a leader in your home environment but you're more sort of sitting on your hands and not stepping up in a work environment as well. I think that we can have that in our relationships, in our intimate relationships, we can be just going along with it and, and, and by doing so we... Um, because the flip side of not leading, I mean, partly you don't get to have a say, but on the other hand, you get to be able to sit back and, you know, have pot shots about the things that other people are doing. The, to actually step in 
you risk yourself to be judged and criticised. So, so there's, there is a, there is like benefit to having to being someone who doesn't show up as a leader at work because I get to sit on my hands and judge everybody else mm. for what they're not doing. Um, or in my relationship, I can do that. So, I like to think of it as is am I sort of switched on as an activated leader, or am I like sitting dormant in this particular issue that's or work situation or life situation that's important to me rather than sort of this binary of some people are community and some people, you know, I mean, there's corporate and stuff. And certainly what we're seeing is that people are seeing um, their ability to, to to impact across many different sections and of society and of their life. Mm, yes, I was just thinking of that recent case uh, where um, there was much controversy over the Sydney Opera House being used for promotion of gambling purposes, for example. And, you know, the particular, you know, outcry from community people who, I uh, remember the, the man who started the campaign on, on I think it was, I don't even think he used GetUp, but, he, you know, he, he certainly used one of those um, platforms that allowed him to have his say on, on it and rally the community around, you know, why this was not a good thing. And he described himself as, I'm just an ordinary citizen who just doesn't want to see something, can't believe that, you know, something like this would be considered. And so in that moment Mm -hmm. chose to step up and lead on that particular issue. And I think there's never been a time in society more than there is now that allows everyone to do that. Mm. You know, obviously social media has changed everything. And as you say, Perhaps before people didn't feel that they necessarily had the capability to, you know, step up and be heard, let's say, or didn't want to necessarily, you know, take that risk because the effort that would have gone into them being allowed their voice would have been too potentially great. But, you know, there's obviously, you know, a new world now where anyone can share anything that they want to have, you know, an opinion about and, and lead. And there's some good and some not so good about that. How do you think that um, that capability of people's voices being able to be heard, like that example I've just given you as we talk about this future of leadership? Yeah, I love those examples. And I think it proves if we all look in our own lives, we will have seen times when we were that man who just, you know, was in that that 70s movie Newsweek or whatever it was called, he said, I'm not going to take it anymore and just, like, went for it and sometimes... I think we've all had times in our life where we just, we take action and what I find really interesting about this, it's not based on, have I got all my ducks in a row? Have I got enough confidence? Have I got enough experience? Have I got... So we get paralysed from actually doing anything because we think we need all of these this stuff um, to be able to make impact. And I think what we're seeing through social media and so many things is anyone can and is. And I certainly saw that in the field where you have a a woman who is um, in societies where they have very little social standing, no education, um, no no, um, anointed sort of leadership um, ability, are able to create great change because they seize something in themselves to to impact and what they're wanting to achieve is greater than their feelings of I'm not good enough or there's going to be massive blowback on me. And so sometimes in those situations it can be a very brutal struggle and sometimes the blowback ends up being 
um, terrible. And we've all seen cautionary tales of people like Matt, you know, Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King and others who sort of get assassinated for doing things. But I think now we're starting to see and hear stories of, of people who are just like normal people who are taking that stand and then taking action to make things happen. We're seeing it across organisations as well, even the way that there may be an issue um, with a customer not getting what they what they require and, uh, and being able to empower sort of frontline staff to be able to direct with direct you know interact with that in a way that gets it resolved rather than it has to be zero you know miles and miles of bureaucracy that just has people not being able to do anything and so we're starting to see those changes I'm certainly starting to see those changes in some of the organizations that I work with. Mm. And I think this comes back to where you started around self-leadership. I'm a huge believer that you can't possibly um, hope to be able to lead others well if you can't lead yourself well. Mm. You know, this concept of being able to, as you say, really understand your own motivation, your your limitations, your strengths, everything about who you are and what you stand for, even though that that can be a really scary place to start, actually, that ability to really look at yourself. So, you know, as we sort of look into the future, how do you see that self-leadership will continue to be um, evolved? Because, you know, it is such a fundamental part to being able to lead others well. Yeah. Well, I think as we face, we're creating agile organisations, facing lots of disruption, uh, this huge war for talent, um, organisations firstly need to are starting to look more within in terms of how are they empowering or not empowering their current people and I and we've all had and worked for people or worked with people who weren't able to govern themselves and the collateral damage of that is just devastating and now we see this through the fallout of the different commissions that we've had productivity commission the royal commissions um through people who weren't able to lead themselves first and foremost. And I'm really fascinated by this research that um, the Potential Project did um, in partnership with Harvard Business School. And they interviewed, it was over two years, and they interviewed 35,000 leaders around many different countries, and about 250 of those were extensive long interviews with C-suite executives. And they're trying to look at sort of leadership traits like what makes a good leader in the you know 20 I think this research came out last year 2018 and the really surprising finding was the aspirational leadership abilities that we need to see were three the first one was mindfulness the second was selflessness and the third was compassion Mm. so they weren't boldness and charismatic and strategic and (laughs) confident and stuff um, and when you look at those three, they are at the hallmarks of, of, of self-leadership. So mindfulness, um, what are your reactions? What are your responses in this moment? Am I, am I being present with the person that I'm at? Am I attending to um, the situation in, in, a, in a wholehearted way as possible? Um, selflessness is not just... Um, being not leading so much with your ego, so a selfless leader will put the 
mission of the organisation ahead before they put their own. So if there's a two, two things to choose, you'll choose what's going to work for the organisation rather than choose what may be good for your career. Um, and it has lots of subtleties. Like I definitely know in earlier in my career, even though I was quite a selfless leader in one way, I was really working to end hunger and, you know, very selfless. Um, I was quite a selfish leader in that I sort of sucked the oxygen out of out of the room. I wanted to be heard um, if I was going to a, a meeting and I had one of my colleagues with me, I would do most of the talking. And in my mind I was thinking this is because I'll do it better than anyone else and, you know, whatever. But actually it came from a real place of insecurity and I wasn't a leader that was empowering the next generation of leaders in the way that perhaps I could have been. And over time I really learned that. And so that's like another aspect of selflessness and being a selfless leader. And the, the third one is around compassion. And often we see that as a really soft, so, oh, you know, you had a bad day, oh, that's terrible, you know, take the afternoon off or whatever. So it gets a bit of a bad rap. But for me, why I'm, I, the whole notion of being a compassionate leader is because you know as a leader that what you're calling forth from your team is difficult and hard and will really require something from them. And yet you know they're up to it and you you bring it out from them anyway. And so it's a real space of, um, it's a huge leadership space. Um, and you know that it's difficult because you're calling that forth from yourself as well. So you're leading in a way that's um, making the tough decisions, having those conversations, risking your own sort of sense of comfort. And then you create that. You hold that sort of space of deep love and knowing with your team or whoever it is that you're leading to um, bring that bring that out. And so I think those three areas around self-leadership I think are going to be increasingly fundamental to how we govern ourselves and our organisations. Yeah, and this is sort of coming back to the really the theme of what we want to talk about today, which is this idea of leading in business with heart actually mm. really at the heart of great leadership is these traits, mm. this ability to do that with yourself first mm. and then be able to, to share and role model that with others. Um, tell me, what do you think that people are really craving from their work and organisations? Yeah, there's two things um, to say about that. One is um, I think the research that Teresa Armabil did on the progress principles really important that people want to make, want to experience that they're making impact, so they've progressed in some way, even in a small way towards something that's meaningful to them. Um, and if you're not experiencing that in your workplace, no matter what it is you do, um, it, it's it's not meaningful or rewarding to you no matter what you get paid. So then that brings us into the whole notion of meaning at work and um, I, McKinsey did some great research on this and they came up with five universal um, lenses to which we see meaning at work. So I could give you my perspective um, but what, what makes my life meaningful at work may not be yours, Emma, or your listeners because, uh, and this was a real breakthrough for me because I tend to speak through um, 
one of the sense, one of the ones of meaning is around um, building your organisation. So I get meaning from work if um, usually two two ways that you know the, the wolves at the door. We've got to batten down the hatches and get through this storm, and that creates meaning for people, or more of a good to great thing where sort of we could be really great. Come on, let's let's build our organisation. Um, but only about 20% of people get motivated by organisational meaning. Um, then there's personal meaning. So a lot of 20% of people's roughly each of these have the same number of people that resonate with it. Is um, I actually get my meaning from work through I'm developing personally. I'm using. I'm getting more skills. Um, I'm, I'm earning money. That's a really important meaning that people get that we often overlook. Um, another one is around my work colleagues. Actually, I get my meaning from work just through my work colleagues. I love being part of a team. I love helping them. Another way is around the customer, how I'm serving. So if I work in a bank, um, I love that. Thing. You know, I'm helping this entrepreneur get a loan to do something. Like that's a real thrill for them. Um, and then the final one is around the community or the world. Like I'm, I'm going to change the world. Like I may work in a, you know, oil and gas industry and I'm I'm helping people get electricity or, or whatever, that sort of larger purpose. For me it was really around having justice for the hungry. It was a huge driver for me, but it's not necessarily everyone's um, you know, that that particular thing. So I think that when we're as managers, when we're working with our teams, is to try and tell stories and find ways to communicate your messages that cover off those different meaning angles because the one that turns you on may just be nothing to somebody else. Um, and then be looking for in the people that you work with, you know, what what is the meaning that is important to them and then empower that and it's perfectly fine if someone's just there it's a good enough meaning that they're earning an income they're at a stage in their career they need to make money they've got mortgage to pay etc etc that's a completely valid meaning at work and not necessarily looking for any other sort of great mm. meaning at work either so I think sometimes we sort of gnash and grind a bit too much oh what if this meaning and purpose yes we do but it can be different for different people. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that actually is one of the things that can get in the way of great leadership actually is that assumption that that's it, you know, this is the meaning and purpose. We've got a really um, great reason for being here, our team, and therefore, you know, we want people to rally around that great reason for that team existing in the first place. And we think that that should be enough. Like anything, if we think it's important and we value it, as a leader and we've built our own career identity around that particular meaning and purpose, um, then we just think via osmosis everyone else because they've turned up in your team is going to feel the same way about it. Yeah, and if you're just communicating that one message, that one lens, 80% of your team won't won't relate to it yeah or not fully relate to it I think this is the point I mean often so many people yes will buy into a certain component of it mm. that, yes that's why they took the job in the interview or whatever it might be they've yeah. chosen to work with you and your team um, and if we don't pay attention to those other motivating factors for people mm. um, then yeah 
that's going to fall short of really getting the best out of them. Yeah. And that brings me to this idea of the rise of the socially driven organisations. The Hunger Project is obviously that. I get it. It's certainly a not-for-profit and, you know, most not-for-profit or social enterprises specifically are, by definition, you know, really about helping something that is in need in in a society situation. But increasingly, profit-driven organisations are trying to redefine and have an element of certainly their value proposition to the customers and shareholders that they are socially driven as well. And I and I see that, you know, shifting enormously mm. and, and that's obviously become, you know, much more prevalent when we've thought about corporate social responsibility, you know, that typically in the early days of CSR was all about the environmental carbon footprint, but increasingly it's about what is the social impact our organisation has on the world in which we exist and organisations making decisions about how they structure and and obviously make decisions to take their product to market. What do you think the rise of socially driven organisations means for leaders of the future? I think increasingly organisations need to integrate what they say and who they are. Because A, consumers are now very savvy and your workers are very savvy. And particularly as younger people for whom this is super, super important, um, start to see the misalignment um, where you're not walking your talk, um, it can have, I think, a worse impact than almost not doing anything at all. And, And I actually think in the next five years, we saw it just recently at Davos, Um, just in January, where you have all these billionaires and world leaders coming together. And then there was a whole discussion around, um, yes, you're all being great philanthropists and you're, you know, giving money and sort of making these commitments, but are you paying your tax? Are you paying your workers a fair wage? Are you just some of the basic stuff that um, I think is going to come under a lot more scrutiny now? Um, I think the whole, um, our ability to start to speak truth to power is going to only become more prevalent and um, so I, I just think there's going to need to be, there will, there'll have to be more um, alignment between the two. Yeah, I think transparency. I mean, increasingly just if you look at, for example, the um, gender pay gap, you know, mm. that's not going away. It's only going to be... I think become more transparent, the need to report against, mm. you know, how your organisation is doing around the pickup. And that's only going to continue the demand for transparency from people in organisations as well as shareholders and customers alike. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those days are gone by which, you know, only a certain those people with a certain key to the corner office, you know, hold the all the information mm. around, you know, how an organisation actually achieves and, and does well. And, you know, that's, I guess, a small group of select leaders that are really running the company. I see that shifting, certainly, as uh, there is a demand for more transparency across yeah. the organisation. And, and also people talk to other people about what's happening in their organisations. Um, people have choices about where they work. Um, and I I just think we're going to keep seeing a situation where there isn't this sort of binary between the, the 
businesses core business and then this is some side thing but yes. that the values will need to be um, sort of meshed if, if it's to be a place that you want great people to come to. So that, exactly, and for me um, that looks like leaders needing to be really good at helping people align their personal and professional goals. You know, the things that are really important to them personally that they wish to, you know, hold near and dear or achieve um, and also professionally and being able to create an alignment between those two things has, you know, never been more important because mm. when I think about when my career started and what I'd seen was important around leadership, the only conversation that really happened between leaders and staff were um, professional goal conversations. They were never personal goal no. conversations. They weren't important, you know. Um, so I think great leaders of the future are going to need this ability to help people um, define and realise their personal and professional goals mm-hmm. and be able to see that actually, you know, playing out at work, mm. not just playing out at home or not just playing out at work but as an integrated way playing out in both those um, environments. Yeah. Even when I first started managing people, people people's personal agendas was like just parked it at the door. Yes. <laughs> I do yeah. shudder when I think about some of the earlier conversations. Well, that's how it was. I mean, yeah. I mean so I think, yeah, there'll be a great demand for the leaders, um, yeah, helping people combine those personal and professional goals. And, and people need to be supported in doing that because there's that fine line between um, people's personal aspiration, being able to manage for that, and then um, your own sort of biases or cognitive way of seeing things. Um, playing out against that person who's just said what they are interested in and wanting to do. Um, so, yeah, and then it gets back to self-leadership and mindfulness again. Mm, mm. And, you know, so that is that whole um, capacity for if I'm a leader in an organisation, if I can um, be given the, you know, time, space, encouragement, etc. Um, and I'm able to be my true self, therefore, you know, these are my personal goals, these are my professional goals, being transparent about that, mm-hmm. knowing those, um, what those are for the rest of my team, mm-hmm. they're all going to be important ingredients by which to really, I think what you're saying is unlock that, mm-hmm. you know, power of people bringing their whole selves to work, right? Mm-hmm. And juicy. Yeah. Juiciness. Exactly. Um so I guess just to round out, I'm interested, what's your message for the C-suite leaders? You know, really, what are the key things that the C-suite must really do to, I'm going to say, um, really gain the heart of their people? You know, that concept of, you know, we have to have the hearts and minds of, you know, our people if we really want to be able to truly unlock the potential that they have within them. We've been very focused on mind, less so on heart. We don't really talk about business and heart in the same word very often. Mm. So what is your advice to C-suite, to leaders of organisations who do, in fact, have the power to change this in their organisation? Yeah, I would certainly be talking to them and do talk to them about their current mindset and framing around leadership, how I started this whole discussion chat with you today um, because even if you believe in your own ability to lead, do you believe others have that capacity? 
like really and mostly we don't um and so firstly it's being able to reframe who's a leader where does leadership reside and actually see start to see the the power and the game-changingness of it when we start to view leadership in a different um, way um, because we're in a really old power structure right now and we have people who are used to being sort of dominant and they're used to being sort of conforming. That's sort of like the way that we have our organisations and the conformers do enable decisions and policies but we the future's heading towards having people who can mobilise, people who are activated in their leadership, they can empower others. And so wherever they sit in an organisation, they can have conversations, they can influence, they can um, be like a lifeblood throughout um, a place. But if there isn't that belief that that's possible, it just can't ever show up. Because culture and environment, it's like I think of women in the villages that I've worked with, even if they themselves wanted to make great changes and they saw that they needed to to start to um, build a school for girls or, or do something, if the environment that surrounds them won't let them show up, won't let them speak, um, it's very hard for them to make impact. So actually being conscious of what are the structures, what are the... Um, mechanisms that I as a C-suite leader have around my organisation that's inhibiting people to be empowered and start to address that because transformation isn't just a personal journey, it's also very structural as well. And I remember once being in a in Bihar in India and women were um, wanting to learn to, wanting to fish for food and there's, and there's that old sort of saying of, you know, teach man to fish and uh, feed a man a fish and teach them fish and teach them they can feed themselves but actually if there's barbed wire around the lake if the lake's polluted if you can't get access to the lake and these women actually didn't know how to fish and so what ended up happening was that a law needed to there was a law in place to stop women from actually fishing and so we got the law change and then they can fish so it is like it is that dance between people's personal empowerment and also what sort of structural mechanisms do I have in place as a leader that actually keep in place this really old notion around um, leadership in an organisation. And sometimes, so true, you know, C-suite may not even be aware that some of those barbed wire fences exist within their organisation um, or they might only be aware that they are of, you know, minimal impact, not of major impact in their, their organisation. So sometimes, as you say, it's not, not always obvious. So it's sort of lifting the lid to really understand what holds people back. Yeah. And I think just the last thing on that too is that we, to give power to others, sometimes we need to relax our, often we need to relax our own rip of it. Um, and so the other thing is to notice where just and be with the concerns that I have around giving up power or perceived perception of giving up power and and actually it seems like something's being taken away when you're empowering many others but actually you get to be a stronger leader as a result but that is a, a dance that needs to be, it's a path to be walked um, because without that sort of reflection it can seem and again we've seen this with um 
certainly men in villages, when you're talking about empowering women, it felt like something would be taken from them, but actually reframing it, that actually everyone gets to benefit. And we've seen that in organisations around women, but now to be seeing this around um, when we're wanting to empower more people, it may seem that I'm going to come out with less authority, less kudos, but actually in the doing so, I get so much more out of it. Mm. And before we end today, Cathy, I'm interested, what's your future plan around leadership and the work that you're going to be doing with organisations in the future? Yeah, well, my plan is really what I'm doing now. I left the Hunger Project after 20 years and I had been working in that time with corporations globally, with eBay and big banks in Australia and um, big women brands as well um, around leadership and I just, I'm really passionate about us in in our own workplaces. We're also the walking dead. We feel incredibly resigned. We feel we can't make a difference. We feel we can't impact um, the huge amounts of anxiety and people just not happy. And I just think we need to re look at leadership and said who leads and why and how I can actually have an experience of of something that brings me that little bit more joy. So there's that aspect and also I'm you know I look and look in the world and I I just we all need to wake up and if I can help wake us up to our innate incredible human potential to make an impact however you want to make it doesn't matter but that we all get to do it as many of us as possible um we live at a critical time in human history emma and so i feel um really called to restoring us to our deeper humanity to change the world and you're certainly doing that so (laughs) you've already done that and you continue to do it an inspiration for so many including myself Happy oh, birthday. Thank, thank you, you for having um, being here and being part of this today. My pleasure.